What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm German Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody. And Ian. Hey, everyone. How are you? Okay. So, got a lot to talk about football stuff, baseball stuff, basketball stuff. So, let's just hop right into football. Yep. So, the first game of the week, we had the Patriots and Rams. Uh, I think this is, game is pretty indicative of the Patriots this season, where we've seen a lot of inconsistency out of the team, especially from the quarterback position. Uh, Cam Newton, uh, 119 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Uh, I think it's become really evident that Cam Newton is not the player that he once was. Um, his athleticism as he goes into the 30s is, is somewhat dropping off. Um, and his ability as a passer has always been somewhat limited. Uh, always could throw the ball well, but uh, I think it's shown more and more his ability to break down a defense. Um, especially in this Patriots system, is not going to work out, and I doubt they'll extend him past this year. Uh, this loss, in my opinion, uh, if it wasn't already – for certain eliminates the Patriots from the playoff contention um, as the Dolphins and the, the Bills especially are, are way ahead of them. Um, so that's, that's an L for them. Uh, on the Rams side of things, you know, again, the Rams have really surprised me this year. Uh, Jared Goff, one touchdown, one reception, 79 QBR, 137 yards passing. Nothing incredible there. Got to say Cam Akers, they have a very nice game with 171 yards and not get into the end zone. However, um, you know, I think the Rams are going to be a playoff team. Uh, they definitely surprised me, one of the better teams in the league. And as we spoke about it last week, that defense has been really, really good for them uh, across the board. You know, the pass rush to the secondary, really good stuff out of the Rams this year. Yeah, I was going to talk about the Rams defense, as I mentioned last week, how they're not getting enough respect. And I feel like after this game, people are actually going to give them the respect they deserve because they really shut the Patriots down. Michael Brocker, so I think – is one of the most underrated players in the league. If you're playing, not playing alongside Aaron Donald, I didn't get a lot more attention, but he had a really, really good game. Don't remember his stats exactly, but he was all over the field. And it's also good for the Rams that I, well, I think one thing they do need is a run game because, you know, Jared Goff, he, he's, he's fine as a game manager, but I, I don't have the faith that he's gonna really going to lead a team to anything special on his own. And, you know, Cam Akers, he was hurt early in the year. He, for whatever reason, he was either hurt or just not producing because they're going by the committee. But I really think this team needs to really have a workhorse running back. And if he can build off of performances like that, I think they're in decent position. As you said, Michael Brockers, I just going back to that, he did have two sacks on the game, Aaron Donald, one and a half sacks. And that's pretty typical of the Rams this season where you see, you know, over the past couple of years, Aaron Donald gets doubled every single, every single drive. So it opens up lanes for other pass rushers like Michael Brockers. Uh, you have Leonard Floyd, who's been doing well. As you said, he had half a sack, uh, just a really good defensive line and secondary. Um, moving on from there, we had the Texans and Bears. Uh, Bears blow out the Texans here. Uh, again, this this Texans franchise is still looking for the answer. Uh, obviously, they haven't Sean Watson. It really comes to coaching and what surrounds him. Um, Will Fuller is still out. Um, Kiki Kuti steps in again and has I think has a pretty solid game for the Texans. Um, uh, Twenty four yards, but he did have a touchdown, uh, which is pretty interesting to see. You know, he's been in and out of the lineup so much, and with Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins gone, that he's able to find some production there. Um, on the Bears side of things, you know, so Mitch Trubisky, three touchdowns, 135.2 QBR. I, every single game that he he does well, I pretty much put it up to luck or, or bad management in the other team. I've seen too much negative out of him and too little improvement over the years that he's been in the NFL to call him the answer. Um, I really do hope for the sake of the Bears franchise that they do, do move on from him uh, following this. And then also for the Bears, we had David Montgomery with the 113 yards rushing, one touchdown. Uh, David Montgomery with a couple of good games this season. Uh, in terms of rushing, and he, he seems to move uh, towards and towards that starting running back role and, and getting it consistently. Obviously, they still have Cordero Patterson that they like to uh, run occasionally, 
Um, but it seems like David Montgomery seems to be the answer running back for the Bears moving forward with the year that he's had. Yeah, yeah. Looking at the Texans, I thought coming in they were going to win this game because I thought the Bear, I thought really thought the Bears were in bad shape after they lost to the Lions. But then they come in and they blow up the Texans. I think that's just really more indicative of how bad the Texans are. And pretty much, and like you said, Nick, you know, whenever Chubisky has a good game, I pretty much chalk it up to probably the bat the opponent being bad and I think that's what you had this game is a team that's really not well coached at all they're not well run I don't I, I see no reason for them to stick with Romeo Cornell there this is a, it's pretty much a broken franchise in the Texans and I think this game all but proves it just losing to a team that lost six in a row and badly too mm-hmm. totally agree there uh, moving on from there we had the Cardinals and Giants uh Cardinals wins one 26 to seven Cardinals moved to seven and six Giants moved to five and eight uh pretty tough loss for the Giants especially the Giants fan Daniel Jones didn't look 100% healthy to me. And I simply think he's probably going to need an extra week. Uh, really tough Cardinals team. Again, they've been really good this year, and they've, they've definitely had their inconsistencies. But in terms of the Giants, um, it was pretty much a team loss, in my opinion. Uh, nobody played spectacularly. Nobody played bad um, in, in terms of any particular area. Uh, but, the, you know, the entire team just didn't perform between, you know, rushing. We only put, we put up less than 100 yards rushing. Uh, passing, we had, uh, I think, 150 yards or so. Uh, I think passing. Uh, Daniel Jones, 20-27 yards, and we saw Colt McCoy step in 18 yards. Nothing incredible from the Giants at all. Um, but I can't say on the Cardinals side of things, I think Kyler Murray, has his ability to, to be a successful quarterback in the NFL, again, shows and shows and shows itself. Uh, this Giants defense has been an absolute tear for the past four or five weeks. The Cardinals step in, and they absolutely make the Giants defense look like they have been at the, the beginning of the season. Um, Cardinal Kyler Murray, 244 yards, one touchdown, 104.4 QBR. Also, Kenyon Drake also had an excellent job rushing, 80 yards, one touchdown. And DeAndre Hopkins, 136 yards receiving. Um, you know, again, this this Cardinals team, they've been somewhat inconsistent this year, but they, they step into this Giants defense and they, they show why that they, why they are what they are in terms of their seven and six uh, with a really young roster. And I think they have again moving forward, they have a lot to improve, but they also have a lot of room to improve. Um, and, you know, they may not make the playoffs this season, and it's definitely looking that way. But, again, this Cardinals team really on the up, and it shows that they – with the way that they were able to pretty much uh, destroy that Giants defense. Yeah, you're going into this game. I thought the Cardinals, you know, not really thought. I, I knew they needed a really – they really needed a win to really keep their playoff hopes alive. And I thought they were going to get it against a Giants team that objectively is not as talented as they did. Or they did have a surprise – the Cardinals didn't give up more points because their defense isn't like world beater level and they kept the Giants seven points. And Nick, I'll ask you, you, you watch this game as a Giants fan. How much would you chalk up to Daniel Jones just being hurt? You know, I wouldn't say, I would say maybe 50, 50. It's really hard to say. Um, But I just feel like this Giants team, they, they sort of overperformed in this past couple of weeks. And I was afraid this was going to happen as a Giants fan, the way that, announcers and the whole sports world was talking about the Giants in terms of they're a really up-and-coming team. You know, they're showing a lot. I just feel like they kind of overperformed with the talent that they have currently and how young they are, as well as, you know, injuries. You have people like Saquon Barkley out. Um, it's huge to the team. And I just feel like they overperformed the past couple of weeks. I do feel like they're getting better. Um, and I did expect a loss, something like this, to come at some point. And it really, it's really going to show how, how they handle this, right? You were bad at the beginning of the season. You were kind of lost. You somewhat figured it out over the past five weeks, and now you hit a road bump. And that's going to happen again. Still a young team, still a head, young head coach, uh, new head coach. So you have a, a lot to prove. You have a lot to work on. It's really going to show how they respond to a loss like this. 
I think that's that's more key moving for the Giants moving forward is that they still have the ability to win this division and they got to learn from this game, particularly if they're going to win it. And, you know, with Washington now with one game ahead, it's going to be huge for, for them to really respond to this game. And, you know, I think that a lot of that does ride on the back of, of Daniel Jones being healthy because although Colt McCoy, when he stepped in last week against the Seahawks, wasn't spectacular or horrible, I, watching him, I, I really don't see that, you know, his floor is what it is. His ceiling is what it is. You don't, you're not going to really get anything great out of Colt McCoy. Um, at best, he's a game manager. Uh, but Daniel Jones still has somewhat potential to be a good starter in the NFL. And I think um, him getting the playing time, and I think he's shown a lot of, of good highlights this year as well as some bad light, um, low lights. So I, I think it really depends on Daniel Jones being healthy and him continuing to improve. That we saw for the past couple of weeks. So there's a lot moving forward for the Giants. I think this game is, is a really crucial roadblock for them. Um, hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and you know, looking at the Giants, you know, they've been when they've won four in a row, and you know, probably a lot of people, you know, Joe Judge was talked about as one of the more up and coming coaches as he should have been, you know. Going on, especially going on the road and being the Seahawks the way they did. Everybody knows how talented that defense is. But you know, if you're if you're going to expect a team like the Giants that has little talents they have to not have trouble, you're you're wrong. Especially against a team like the Cardinals. You know, it's you know, it's tough to sustain two really good performances in a row where you beat two teams that are way better than you. So just don't if in case you are, don't freak out because it, you still it still takes time for a team to mesh. And I think this game's a perfect example. It's just not there yet completely, and it won't be this year. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Vikings and the Buccaneers. Buccaneers went at 26 to 14. Um, not much to talk about other than the Vikings have been really inconsistent this year and, and the Buccaneers are, uh, you know, doing the best of what they can. You know, I still think the Buccaneers could have done better with, with acquiring Tom Brady. Uh, now that they're sitting at eight and five. Um, but again, I, I can't really complain. You know, they still have a shot to make the playoffs um, through the wild card because the Saints did clinch. Um, but I, I'll be interested to see, you know, where this Buccaneers team goes in terms of the playoffs. They might be a better playoff team than they are a regular team under the helm of Tom Brady and, and the amount of veteran talent they have on the team. Um, so I'll be, I'll be really interested to see. Uh, in terms of stats for the games, we saw Tom Brady with 196 yards, two touchdowns, 130.1 QBR. Ronald Jones, 80 yards, one touchdown. Uh, in terms of rushing touchdown. Um, on the Vikings side of things, again, just not nothing spectacular. Dalvin Cook with 102 yards, one touchdown. Um, receiving nobody, nobody did exceptionally well. Um, and then Kirk Cousins did okay with 225 yards, one touchdown. Again, not a bad game played by the Vikings, but I think Buccaneers being the better team, they really did come out on top on this one. Yeah, and really, I think looking, you're talking about Tom Brady and potentially them going for the playoffs because playoff Brady, and I could see an argument, but I at this point I don't have faith that he's the guy. And just looking at the throws he makes, he doesn't look that sharp at all. I've seen the past few weeks he's not really making accurate throws. And I just remember one this is one of the games I was watching yesterday. You know, I had the Titans game on one I was at one TV and then the Bucks game on the other. And I just saw one of the throws that Brady made had Chris Godwin completely wide open, just totally overshot him, which is really rare for Brady. You know, no matter how he's looked, he always is able when he as when he's at his best, he's usually able to complete passes accurately. And the fact that he missed it that bad shows me. He really doesn't have much anymore. And so that's that. But talking about the Vikings, you know, I think the story of the game for them is the fact, I think, was it four or five missed field goals for them? I don't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember either. But either it, was way, lot, it was a lot, yeah. It was a lot of missed field goals. And I feel like the the media, media and everyone's going to point the finger at Dan Bailey. But, you know, when you're the, you're the Vikings, you got to think that, you know, 
settling for field goals all the time is not the way to win games. Yeah, you need your special teams to to come through, and they certainly did not. But you also have to. It's there's a something to be said for you know making sure you get six and not three. And if you're settling for three points every time, that's not sustainable in terms of winning games. So I think there's blame to go both both ways. And Dan Bailey was zero for three. I'm going back to the Tom Brady point. The thing is with Tom Brady, and I think I've seen this throughout the season, is that there's been a lot of miscues on that offense where, you know, the players don't know where they're supposed to be at certain times. Um, and I think Tom Brady, obviously with him getting older, it does miss throws. But I also think the timing of routes is something that he has to work on because one of the staples of Tom Brady in New England was he'd go to every offseason, he'd go with Edelman, you know, Amendola, whoever the receiver was, and put a lot of time in um, and working on route timing and stuff like that, which he didn't have the opportunity to do this year, obviously, A, being on a new team, B, COVID. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, where they stand right now in terms of his improvement. I just think as time passes and, you know, depending how long Brady stays in the league, he could get better on this Buccaneers team and with them being eight and five. That's why I think there's some hope for them if they do make the playoffs, um, if Brady able is able to start connecting with his receivers. But as you said, uh, it's a really big if there. And he does miss a lot of throws right now. And if they don't correct that, they're not going to have much of a chance in the playoffs. Um with that being said, we have the Cowboys and the Bengals. Cowboys went at 30-7. to seven. Um, Honestly, nothing spectacular here. The Cowboys are the better team. Bengals are banged up. Um, a lot of rookie players, you name it, we know the Bengals situation. Um, on the Cowboys side of things, Andy Dalton has stepped in and, and been a little bit better here. Uh, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 131 QBR, 185 yards passing. Uh, another week where we saw Ezekiel Elliott pretty much have minimal uh, effect. I haven't seen Ezekiel Elliott really rush well this year. Um, not sure really it's due to the offensive line or uh, just the fact that, you know, I really would pit it to the fact that, the, you know, it's somewhat of the offensive line, somewhat that the passing game isn't what it was under Dak, not as efficient, so it doesn't open up the run as much. Um, but either way, Ezekiel Elliott just has not been great this year, um, at least not great considering to his standards. Amari um, Cooper, 51 yards, one touchdown. Um, other than that, not much to talk about. Cowboys are 4-9, Bengals are 2-10. and 10. Essentially, both teams are out of the playoffs. Unless the Bengals can, uh, the Cowboys rather, can pretty much win win out and hope that Washington and the Giants lose. The Cow- both their teams are essentially out of the playoffs at this point. Yeah, I really don't have not much to say to this. I, I did think the Cowboys can win strictly because the, ta- the talent on their side is better. And if you're the Bengals, you really you really shouldn't win games at this point. You have really the most important thing is you have to get the, your guy to protect Joe Burrow, and you're in per- position to get Penesul in the draft. So I think that should be their focus, and I think they're on the right track by losing this game. It, it's sad to say, but like, it's what's the, in the best interest of this organization. I think whoever gets Penesul is going to be in a fantastic spot in terms of offensive line because you know the talent that he brings in, in consideration with whatever you can piece together on an offensive line is going to be really incredible. So um, that would be huge for them. Um, especially with how big of a staple the Cowboys offensive line has been throughout the years, especially over the past, you know, five to 10 years. Um, revitalizing that would be huge, I think, for their franchise. Um, that being said, we had the Cowboys, uh, sorry, the Broncos and the Panthers. Broncos win it. They're five and eight, 32 to 27. Panthers four and nine. Um, you know, I think this game is really interesting in terms of, I think the Broncos and Pan- Panthers, not exactly at the same point, but I think talent level, they're kind of in the same place. They have a couple star players, a couple of rookie players, uh, you know, things changing within the franchise. You know, look at the Panthers. We have Matt Rule, um, Teddy Bridgewater, et cetera, et cetera. Broncos, uh, we have Locke. Um, Von Miller is out. I think these teams are pretty well matched, and I think the score really does match that. Um, that being said, Teddy Bridgewater, 283 yards, 
No touchdowns, no interceptions, 100.9 QBR. Mike Davis, again, CMC has still been out. Um, his injury has, you know, his injuries this season have been pretty bad in terms of plaguing him. Uh, we had Mike Davis, 51 yards, two touchdowns. Robbie Anderson has been a pretty good receiver for the Panthers this year for 84 yards. On the Broncos side of things, we had Drew Locke with four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 158.3 QBR, 280 yards. Uh, so really good game out of him. Uh, we had Melvin Gordon with 68 rushing yards. And other than that, nothing spectacular. K.J. Hamler did have a solid game with 86 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, really good speedster out of, out of Penn State. And he's, you know, I really like K.J. Hamler in terms of like a, a third, possibly a second option, but I'd probably say he's a really good third option for wide receiver core. Um, so I think Jerry Judy and him make a really good co rookie combo. So again, I think I have a lot of faith in this Broncos team moving forward. Obviously not this year. And I have a lot of faith in the Panthers team under Matt Rule, I think. Uh, you, you have a lot of potential in both these teams. You know, neither are going to make the playoffs this season. But again, moving forward, these are teams that we could potentially see be playoff teams. Yeah, yeah. At the at the Broncos. Main takeaway I have from this game is like I, I still can never seem to get a firm gauge on Drew Locke. There are weeks when I think this is not a good quarterback, they didn't move on from him. Then games like this where he put puts up a good game, and I think this could be something. So I, I don't know. I just want to see more consistency from Drew Locke, as they are still thinking he might be their guy, and inconsistency never bodes well. So I want starting next year. I really want to see what he's going to be. I think if there's more inconsistency out of him, they move on. But you, I feel like I changed my opinion on this guy week in and week out. And me personally, since Drew Locke has stepped into the league, I've been a fan of him. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, I think he has a great arm, right? I think he's a great personality. He's the type of guy that can, can really do well. Um, you know, watching him in Missouri and uh, just really incredible player in terms of hard talent. Um, I do have a lot of faith in him, especially if this team can come back healthy next year. You know, they get players like Cortland Sutton back. That'll be huge in terms of giving him a weapon because uh, Cortland Sutton was pretty good until he obviously tore his ACL this year. Um, but I, I have faith in Drew Locke, but I 100% I agree with you, right? You see the inconsistency and that, that really does not bode well for him. I have faith that, you know, coming into next year, and hopefully over the rest of this season, whatever he can put together, I think he's going to do well. I, I have somewhat of a faith in him, um, but we'll definitely have to see. As you said, I totally agree. If you see more consistency out of him, um, then I'll, I'll be proven wrong um, and, and that they should move on. You know, with, with looking at their division, you know, you cannot you cannot hold on to Drew Locke for, for any longer um, and expect to really do well. Uh, the, the quarterbacks in that division are just too good, and you need to be able to compete. You have Chiefs, obviously Patrick Mahomes, um, Chargers, who has Justin Herbert, who's really young and, and doing well. Um, and then we have Derek Carr, who's somewhat revitalized his career this season. Um, nothing spectacular, but has been a lot better than he has been in the past. Um, you know, so I think getting a good quarterback to match those is going to be important. Um, so uh, with that being said, uh, we have the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Uh, the Chiefs win it 33-27. to 27. Chiefs move to 12-1. and 1. Dolphins move to 8-5. I'll start with the Chiefs. Because uh, there's probably less to talk about that with them. Uh, obviously, at this point, the best team in the league. Um, now we've seen the Steelers lose two in a row. Um, Patrick Mahomes obviously didn't have a great game here, but I still think they are the best team in the league. Uh, this is one of the worst games Patrick Mahomes, I think, has had in terms of just, uh, you know, touchdown to interception ratio that he's had in quite some time. Obviously, he was able to put up a lot of yards, 390, 393 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, 95.8 QBR. Um, and I, I'd say it's less him and more this Dolphins team, and I'll just get to in a second. Uh, didn't really put up any rushing. Uh, Travis Kelsey had a really good game with 136 yards, one touchdown, and then we had Tyreek Hill with 79 yards and one touchdown. Um, but again, going over this Dolphins team, they they are really not exactly surprising me, 
but I think they're really spectacular in what they've been able to put together with such a young team. Um, Tua had two touchdowns, one interception, 316 yards. Um, I really like Tua, and I, I'm going to say it now. I definitely have a bias towards him. Um, I've liked him since he was at Alabama, and now coming into you know the NFL, uh, once he got past an injury and he's, he's started playing for the Dolphins, I think he's been really spectacular in terms of his consistency and his leadership as a rookie. Um, I, I think out of this draft class, I think you're going to have Tua be one, um, probably the best. I, I, right now, he's my favorite to be the best quarterback out of this entire draft class. Um, but it's definitely between Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow as well. Um, all really good players. And I think this draft class has done pretty well in terms of what we've seen out of the rookie quarterbacks. But Tua has just been my favorite so far. Um, and then the receiving side of things, we had Lynn Bowden, 82 yards, um, which is solid. And you had Mike Gusecki, who's a tight end, good old tight end out of Penn State. Uh, 65 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but on the defensive side of things, you know, we saw um, Jerome Baker, two and a half sacks. Christian Wilkins get a half sack. Um, and then we have interceptions from Byron Jones. Again, this this defense and Xavier Howard as well, who had a spectacular interception. Um, th- this Dolphins team has really shown a lot to me. Again, they're young for the most part. You know, Byron Jones is one of their older players at 28 years old, 29 years old. Um, and, and with that being said, again, really young. I love the coaching there. I love the culture they're building. I think this Dolphin team is really spectacular. The fact that they only lost by six to the, the Chiefs says a lot about this team. Um, and although I, I think the Bills are pretty much locked in the division at this point, um, they're probably my favorite team in terms of the wild card uh, to, you know, to make somewhat of a run in the playoffs. And if not, I think this Dolphins team is in better position than possibly the Bills maybe uh, to, to start taking over this division. You know, this is going to be the Dolphins versus the Bills division, I think, for quite some time. Um, between Josh Allen has been absolutely spectacular and then Tua who's been really good in his rookie year as well as the rest of his team. So I'm really excited to see what the Dolphins have to do in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You said quite a bit there that I can't cover all you went over quite a bit, but I think my main takeaway is looking at the chiefs Mahomes threw three interceptions in a game, which is something that's never happened yet. They still find a way to score. um, How many, what was the score of the game again? 33 to 27. Yeah. They still win 30. They still get 30 plus points and win. They still have, look like their offense is on fire. So like, I honestly, it's tough to see a way that you can realistically beat this Chiefs team. I, I see no one, honestly, who can really stand in their way. You know, even though repeating as a Super Bowl champion is really hard to do. I think this is one of the teams I really think can do it because they're just so, it, no one can stop that offense. And I really think that's what matters when looking, look at them because when you have a quarterback that can just outduel anyone, I think you're tough to beat. 100% agree with you. As you said, Patrick Mahomes, one of the worst games, I think, possibly of his career, but definitely in the past two years. And they still won against the Dolphins team who performed, I think, very well in that game. Um, that, that offense is essentially impossible to stop. Too many weapons. Uh, you know, the X's and O's are too advanced. Uh, it's just really incredible what we see out of that offense week in, week, out, week in and week out. Um, that being said, uh, again, as you said, I think the Chiefs are likely to repeat, and they're definitely my favorite right now. Um, but we next game we have was the Titans versus the Jaguars. Not much to talk about here, but I'll definitely let uh, Max handle the Titans. Uh, Titans win it thirty-one to ten. Titans are now nine and four. Jaguars one and twelve. On the Jaguars side of things, uh, it's pretty obvious at this point that you know they're not going to make the playoffs. Obviously, they're they're in position to get the second overall pick behind the Jets. Um, they got to go for a quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, Justin Fields is an option. You know, wh- whoever they decide to go with. I think a quarterback is the move here because Gardner Minshew has, has not really elevated this team enough. Obviously, with them being one in, uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, with them being one in twelve, 
uh, you know, you got to you got to pick a player that's going to help shift this franchise. And I don't think Gardner Minshew is really the guy long term at this point, although he did not have a terrible game against the Titans defense to 178 yards and one touchdown. Um, again, he's just not elevating this franchise. They really need an entire culture shift in this franchise. It, it is abysmal um, on Titans side of things. Um, you know, Brian Tannehill, solid game, 212 yards, two touchdowns. Derrick Henry, who had a spectacular game, uh, as Derrick Henry does, what ended up losing me fantasy, unfortunately, because uh, he was in the other team. But uh, 215 yards, two touchdowns um, on 26 carries. Really, really incredible stuff. A.J. Brown, another great game out of him. 112 yards, one touchdown. Again, this Titans team, they've really been up and down, but uh, they're 9-4 and four now. Um, you know, I think they're, they're easily going to win the division, even though I know the Colts are currently tied with them. I just have so much faith in this Titans team to really take this division. Um, you know, it's going to be close. And whoever team doesn't take the division, I think, has a likely wild card spot. Um, you know, it's going to be between them and probably the Browns um, or the Dolphins. You know, Dolphins, uh, you have Titans, Colts, Browns. You know, those are the teams we're looking at wild card spots. But, uh, whoever, you know, Titans are a really good team. Um, I have a lot of faith in them. I'll let Max handle the rest, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Going into this game yesterday, you're going in. It was just one of those games where you just could, all you had to do really was just not screw up, and you can you can afford to, and it or you could not afford to lose this game at all because if you lose to the Jaguars at this point in the year, it's just a really bad look. And thankfully, Titans went in there, didn't lose. They played a pretty good game, did what they had to do to win. I really think there's not much more to say. They were able to run the ball effectively as they were able as they were supposed to. Tannehill had an efficient game. AJ Brown had a really really nice catch. And but I will say for the Jaguars, though, they had Mike Lennon in this game for a while and until the third quarter. Then Gardner Minshew came in, and they were able to move the ball much better. But, you know, that being said, there's no reason the Jack should keep him. As I've said many, many times, they're, they need a franchise quarterback, and they don't have that. So that it really is in their best interest to lose these, game, lose these games. I feel like that's part of why they played Mike Lennon, so it would give him a lower chance to win. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I think Gardner Minshew is a capable quarterback in the NFL, but not on this current franchise, right? He, he's a type of player that if you have a really, really good team around him, then I think you can have some success. But I don't think he's the type of player that's going to elevate your entire franchise like the Jaguars need, as you had mentioned. Um, that being said, we have the next game, we have the Jets and Seahawks. I honestly have nothing to say here. The Seahawks win at 40-3. to three. Uh, Seahawks are 9-4, and four, Jets 0-13. Jets are definitely on pace to have an 0-16 season. And I wouldn't doubt that they will because I, I feel like the Jets are pretty much in tanking mode at this point. Um, if they do have the possibility of success, they're not going to take it. Um, you know, I watched this game because I have Russell Wilson and it was my playoffs. And they actually wound up benching Russell Wilson about halfway through the third quarter because they were up by so much. That was really disappointing. Um, yeah, I think nothing defines this Jets team better than I watched the game. And their kicker, I think, went over, you know, missed three consecutive field goals. Um, it was pretty terrible. He went one for four on the day. Uh, the fact that that man still has his job after, you know, they were pretty, they weren't incredibly difficult field goals. He was just missing them. Um, the, the Jets franchise is absolutely terrible. And I, as I had mentioned, my plea to Trevor Lawrence would be to skip this year's draft so you don't get drafted into this Jets franchise because they had absolutely are in position to, to ruin your career as they did with Sam Darnold. Um, so I would definitely consider it. But, you know, if Trevor Lawrence thinks he's going to succeed in the Jets, then he should definitely go into the draft. He will be the first overall pick. But, man, this Jets franchise is bad. Um, you know, it's hard to gauge where the Seahawks are because I think their defense has been really inconsistent as well as their offensive line. But this Jets team is so bad. I think any team in the league can blow them out. <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah, more. 
it was going to be a blowout from the start, and it was, so nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, moving on, we have the Colts and the Raiders. This one was a relatively interesting game. Uh, Colts wound up winning it 44-27. to Colts are 9-4, as I said, tied with the Titans for the division. Uh, Raiders are 7-6, and which you know, pretty much effectively, in my opinion, eliminates them from playoff contention. Um, I don't think they're going to win any wild-card spot. Um, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, moving forward, they pretty much have to win out. Um, but, you know, John, you know, starting off with the Colts, great game out of them, obviously. Uh, Phillip Rivers, again, don't think he's a long-term, uh, long-term answer there, but he was consistent again this week with 244 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 128.3 QBR. Jonathan Taylor had a massive run, um, had put up 150 yards, and the majority of that did come on on one massive run, uh, two touchdowns for him as well. Again, I think Jonathan Taylor – uh, coming out of Wisconsin has been one of the underrated rookies this year. I think he's been really, really consistent at the running back spot. It really hasn't been looked at or hasn't been talked about. Um, again, really consistent. I think he's had like almost 50 yards plus in every game, which is pretty solid for rookie. Uh, put up some touchdowns. Again, a lot of good yards. Uh, nothing, you know, game-breaking or, or league-breaking, but really consistent running back. And I think he he's one of the longer-term answers there for them at running back. Um, you know, and I think they have a really good running back core there over in, in Indianapolis. In terms of wide receiver, you saw T.Y. Hilton 86 yards, two touchdowns. Um, my guy, Michael Pittman, only had 42 yards. Got to get that up, Mike. Come on. Um, and then the Raiders side of things, um, I was very pissed off at the Ra- uh, specifically Josh Jacobs yesterday. Uh, Derek Carr had 316 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Again, they, again, they've been one of the better defenses in the league this year, and I don't think they had talked about enough. But um, in terms of Josh Jacobs, he was questionable coming into this game because um, he received a ankle sprain about two weeks ago, missed the Jets game last week, was supposed to play in this game, at, you know, via via reports over ESPN, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he actually put it on his Instagram story that he wasn't going to play. So I wound up benching him, and he played. So I don't know why he did that, but he posted on his Instagram story that he wasn't going to play, and he played. Um, and given it wasn't the only reason I lost fantasy this week, but come on, Josh, never drafting you again after that. I hand Darren Waller again, one of the better tight ends in the league. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, 100 yards, receiving one touchdown. So ultimately, I think this Raiders team, you know, they've had a lot of potential, but I don't think they've capitalized on everything that they've had um, and somewhat held them back. Again, inconsistency has really been the, the plague of this team. I think they, they have a solid roster here. Um, I think they, you know, depending how they draft and how they move into this next season, they can possibly be a playoff team. But, you know, this season just really did not has not panned out perfectly for them. On the Colts side of things, I think they've somewhat overperformed with their offense and Phillip Rivers at the helm. But I think overall the Colts are a pretty good team. Uh, however, I do think the Titans will win out the division. Uh, Max? Yeah, I was, I'm going to say it. Also talk about Josh Jacobs. I was seeing on Twitter, like, he had posted on his story, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not playing. And I see him in the game, like, what? And I, also I was mad about that too because I started Devontae Booker, one of my leagues. And Ian, it's actually the league we're in. I started him. And I ended up I, that's not the main reason I lost, but I started him thinking Josh Jacobs isn't going to play. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah I mean, I it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, I got hoodwinked, bamboozled, because at the last minute, I just see that he is going to play. So I was able to finesse him in there right before the lineup locked. But after a stunt like that, I just don't know how much longer he can remain on my team. Yeah, like that's just crazy. But anyway, you're looking at this Raiders team. I think I think... That when you they played the Chiefs back in I don't remember when it was like week eleven or I, I don't I remember the game but it, I don't remember the exact week. I just think the way they kept it so close did, did that almost use all their energy? Did they have anything left in the tank after that game? They lost to the Falcons bad, almost to the Jets, and now this game they got 
pretty much blown out. I would say like I don't know what happened now because they looked so good. And now it just I don't know. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And Josh Jacobs, as you said, I'm never drafting him again. And as I said, I actually released him and I talked to my commissioner. I'm like, make sure nobody can sign him. I had I had to release him. It was a, it was more of a sentimental thing for me. What the heck, bro? <laughs> um, yeah. With that being said, we had the Packers and Lions here. Uh, not the greatest game out of the Packers. Packers are now ten and three. Uh, pretty much have their division locked in, um, as well as the NFC. Um, uh, ultimately, and you know, I don't think there's much to talk about here other than I think the Lions somewhat overperformed. Um, you know, looking at Aaron Rodgers, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, one forty-three point two QBR, two ninety yards. Uh, so much between him and. Uh, Patrick Mahomes at this point for MVP. Um, and as long as Aaron Rodgers keeps performing like this and we see uh, not great games out of Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers might be our MVP for this year. Um, Aaron Jones, 69 yards rushing. Devontae Adams, 115 yards, one touchdown. Uh, MVS was 85 yards and a touchdown. You also had Tony with the touchdown. Um, on the line side of things, Matt Stafford, 244 yards and touchdown, 107.6 QBR. Uh, they didn't really get anything going rushing. The Packers defense did pretty well in this game. Uh, then passing-wise, didn't have much. TJ Hawkinson with 43 yards and touchdown. Danny Andolman, 66 yards. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's much to talk about this game other than the Lions are definitely not making the playoffs. They're kind of stuck in the middle. They need to start a rebuild, need to get a new owner, as we've said. Uh, the Packers are looking pretty good. You know, they're 10-3. and three, uh, and They've won a lot, of, a lot of games this year. Um, I have a lot of faith in Aaron Rodgers. He's really, I wouldn't say revived his career because he's never, he was never that bad, but he's definitely had some, somewhat of a comeback this season. He's on his way to win MVP. Yeah, I agree with you. And looking at Rodgers coming into the year, I thought he'd kind of did the past few years. His stats were going down. I, it didn't look like he was like the same like accurate, you know, like potent quarterback we've seen. But this year, it's been a complete renaissance year for him. And I, I think I really think at this point this Packers team is my favorite to come out of the NFC. I was going to say the Seahawks, but just looking at how complete this team is, they can pat, they can throw the ball, they can run the ball on you. They have a lot on defense, and it's really the, the main key I would say is you got to have a, the first thing you got to have a quarterback that's really really reliable, and when you have that plus a team around you that plays well all at all um, areas of the field then you got a contender. I think the Packers are, ju- are just that. I think that right now I'd say the best team in the NFC. Mm, I totally agree. I think Packers won for me, probably like Rams two. You know, I'd probably go along that lines. And then maybe Saints and Seahawks are probably tied for me at three. Um, but as you, as you mentioned, Packers probably the favorite in the NFC right now. Um, that being said, we have the Falcons and the Chargers. Both teams are four and nine now. Chargers won at 20 to 17. Not much to talk about here than other than you have a rebuilding team. You know, I think at four and nine, and I think, you know, they're the positive side of this thing, right? They win against a team who is essentially equivalent to them in record, right? Um, but they win, and I think it's more of a function of they're getting better while the Falcons are getting worse. Um, Justin Herbert, 243 yards, two touchdowns, one reception, 99.6 QBR. Austin Eckler with a solid game. Uh, one of the better games of the week. Uh, again, as we talked about in the past in the podcast, he's one of those underrated players that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, 79 yards rushing grand, but he also had 67 yards receiving. Uh, really a dual threat right there. Um, I think you know, it was a pretty solid rushing game out of him uh, as well as receiving. And on the Falcon side of things, I don't think there's anything spectacular to talk about. You had Matt Ryan with a pretty abysmal game, 224 yards, but he had one touchdown to three interceptions, 64 QBR. Um, this Falcons team is really in a tough spot. Um, also to mention Calvin Ridley, 124 yards receiving is one touchdown. Julio was out again. Julio's been plagued by tons of injuries this year. 
Um, this Falcons team, it really needs, I think, to start an entire rebuild. That's just my personal opinion. Um, they did 100% have to look to get a new quarterback. Matt Ryan has not performed too well this year, and they're really, you know, he's he's on his way to retirement very soon. Um, and if they're going to revitalize this franchise, you're going to have to get a new quarterback and build around him. I think they're about that. They're about at that time to do so. So really, the main takeaway from this game for me is, you know, going in, I thought, wow, you have the teams that choke the most, and especially at the end of this game, that lived up to the billing so much. Justin Herbert threw an interception with a minute left. Then Matt Ryan gift wrapped another interception for the Chargers and to take the ball back. It just like it was almost like who wants to lose this game more? And I guess it was the Falcons, you know, because they were given an opportunity and they completely blew it. I, it. It was just laughable for me more than anything. That's really all I expect expected to coming into this game because both teams were out of the playoffs and wow. Yeah. Um, that being said, we had the we had the Washington football team versus the 49ers. Uh, Washington wins at 23 to 15. Washington six to seven. 49ers at five and eight. 49ers essentially out of the playoffs at this point. Um, they will not make it back to the Super Bowl. Um, uh, Washington, you know, they're they're more and more positioned to win an NFC East. It's unfortunate for me as a Giants fan, but you know, the Washington has, Washington's been way more consistent. Um, you know, we saw Alex Smith. Uh, you know, he didn't have a great game. He had 57 yards and interception. We saw Dwayne Haskins step in um, 51 yards. You know, nothing great at a quarterback. I think Alex Smith has been really good over the past couple of weeks um, but with him stepping out here. Uh, you know, it should be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback situation. Uh, Peyton Barber did not a great game. Uh, J.D. McKissick, we had 68 yards. You know, I think overall this is a pretty brutal game, um, really gritty. Uh, but the Washington does come out on top and, you know, they're in position to – uh, win the division at this point. You know, it's going to be between them and the Giants. Uh, should be interesting to see who comes out on top. Yeah, you know, looking at this Washington team, they don't really have the quarterback to to get it done, but that defense really is good, and Chase Young is becoming a stud. You know, I really thought they were going to win this game because all the f- injuries the 49ers have on offense, and that team's on four in a row. With that defense, you know, they're going to be competitive. I I definitely think they're going to get out in the wild card round, but, you know, with that, you know, with, with that unit, especially that front seven, they've got a chance. So, you know, don't write them off completely. I totally forgot about the plays Chase Young made yesterday. I can't remember what did he make an did he get a fumble I recovery? Think, I think it was a fumble recovery for a touchdown. For touchdown, yes. Score. I can remember if it was like a batted down interception, or it was a fumble recovery for a touchdown. But um, Chase Young has been really good as a rookie. Um, again, another guy that I don't think he's been talked about enough, and he's really on pace at this point to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. But we'll have to see. Um, at this point, he's probably my favorite. Um, but I'll uh, definitely have to see. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Saints and the Eagles. Eagles win this one 24 to 21. Uh, really interesting game here. Um, you know, on the Saints side of things, I really see it as, you know, Taysom Hill, not the answer quarterback. Um, 291 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Rather, the Saints have set themselves up on offense. I think they've, re- you know, they've really become a type of offense where they can have Drew Brees sit back in the pocket and read defenses and pick them apart, as well as work in screens and rushing game through Alvin Kamara, um, where Taysom Hill really changes that dynamic. Uh, he's become more of a, a rushing offense in terms, you know, more of a college style offense where you have Taysom Hill rushing the ball a lot. Um, and I don't think it's going to lead to long-term success for them. I don't think Taysom Hill is talented enough as a passer to have a long-term success in the NFL. Um, great. Again, great utility man, great man to have on the roster. I just think the Saints team really needs Drew Brees back. Um, in terms of Taysom Hill, right? I, mean, 20, I, I already mentioned 
you know, nothing spectacular on the offense here. Um, but the Eagles, who now put in Jalen Hurts, um, almost an instant switch, I think, in terms of the team morale. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 167 yards, one touchdown. Nothing spectacular there. But in my opinion, under Jalen Hurts, this team looks totally different. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts also had 160 yards rushing. Was, he had somewhat of a dynamic there. Um, you know, I think he still has room to improve as a passer. Don't get me wrong. And still has room to improve as a quarterback in the NFL. But the, but I think the, the, what he put on display against the Saints team should be noted. Um, again, team morale, everybody on the team is just playing different. I think there's a different energy with the Eagles under Jalen Hurts. Uh, Miles Sanders, what an absolutely spectacular run down the sideline. Uh, 115 yards, two touchdowns for him. Um, Receiving-wise, nobody, not a single receiver did spectacular. It was a good uh, mix between everybody. Um, and the, the defense also performed pretty well for them. You had an interception by Duke Riley, um, two sacks by Hargrave. Uh, again, I think this Eagles team is a lot different than Jalen Hurts. I think, you know, maybe not long-term, but I think temporarily they have to continue with Jalen Hurts. He's their answer. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say that he's like the answer, but he certainly has provided the spark that I think this team really needs more than anything. I think it's it's all but too late to make the playoffs at this point. But you know, just looking like how is the results show it? You know, the team you know in previous weeks they looked awful against some teams they should beat, and then they go yesterday and they win a close game against the team they really should have had no business of beating. Even if it's not the best offensive performance, I think that the spark that Jalen Hurts provided is enough to roll with them for the foreseeable future. So I definitely think that's the move for the Eagles. And looking at the um, Saints, I 100% agree. Taysom Hill, not the answer. It, I really don't really care for talking about like schemes and all that in this case. You know, when you can't rely on your quarterback to throw consistently, it's just not going to work out. And I, they don't, the Saints clearly don't rely on Hill to, to make throws, to sit back in the pocket, make throws all the time. And I, I think that's enough to not trust them long-term. And as you said, I think Jalen Hurts, with how he's performed through the first, like, two or three games that he's played in, he performed really well um, in terms of, you know, not making a ton of mistakes, being pretty consistent. And as you said, I think long-term, we still have a lot of question marks about Jalen Hurts. But I think for right now and throughout the season and probably next season, you know, he he buys the Eagles a year, essentially. Um, you know, whether he's going to, you know, at, at a minimum, he essentially buys the Eagles a year in terms of not having to draft a quarterback this uh, draft right they have Jalen Hurts um they might if he continues if he performs on the same level that he has so far throughout this this year you know they're going to work with him in the offseason he'll probably be the starter next season and then they'll have to see if he progresses from there um but if he let's say he doesn't he, he really regresses you know at least it somewhat buys him another year at quarterback so it could be big for them um because there is a lot of need on this team and quarterback you know with the position that they're in at four eight and one they may not get the best draft pick they might not have uh access to guys like Kyle Trask at that point or whoever may, whoever may be coming up at that point. Um, so I think it might be a good year, you know, good year for them to build elsewhere and then maybe stick with uh, Jalen Hurts a year and then get quarterback next year and the year after that rather. Uh, so a lot, a lot of dynamics there happening with Jalen Hurts. Um, so moving on from there, we have the Steelers and the Bills. Bills won this one 26 to 15. Steelers have now lost two in a row. They're 11 and two. Bills are 10 and three. Huge statement game for the Bills here. As I said, this game really solidifies it for me. I think they're the favorites to win the division. Um, I also think, you know, they're really up there, you know, in the AFC. I think they're probably the number two team, number three team in the AFC for me. Um, I put Chiefs one, maybe Steelers two. And honestly, at this point, I probably put Bills two, Steelers three, and then Titans four. That would probably be my top four teams right now um, in the AFC. I just have a lot of faith in this Bills team. I have to say Josh Allen has been absolutely incredible. 
Um, had one interception last night against a really tough Steelers defense, but uh, the way he's sculptured this team and the way he's, he's improved this year has really impressed me. 238 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, 81.7 QBR. Um, Stephon Diggs, who's been really great for them, uh, you know, acquiring him from the Vikings has been really crucial uh, for their offense this year. 130 yards, one touchdown. Um, again, and then the defense, I think, speaks for itself. This Bills defense has been great um, for, for years. And I think you know, they didn't perform that great at the beginning of the year, not, not to the standards that we've expected out of the Bills defense. But I think down the line, they've sort of picked it up. So two interceptions out of them between Taron Johnson and Levi Wallace. Um, Levi Wallace, I don't think it's talked about enough. He's a really good corner. Um, then you have the Steelers side of things. We had Ben Roethlisberger, obviously two touchdowns, two interceptions, 187 yards, 69.4 QBR. Uh, they didn't really get a rushing game going, which is, I think, a credit to the Bills defense and how great they are. Uh, Juju had 55 yards and one touchdown. Um, you know, I think it's kind of funny because everyone clowns Juju for, for dancing so much, and I think it was pretty incredible yesterday. I think I think he danced on the logo, if I'm not mistaken, and it was kind of disrespectful. And I don't think any of the Bills players did anything about it, but uh, they did lose the game, so I guess it's somewhat of karma. Um, you know, this Bills, this Bills team is, is really the real deal to me. And I think they're kind of my dark horse team to win the Super Bowl this year. I think they can do it. I think they, if they can really put everything together in the playoffs, I think they definitely have a shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way the Bills played, especially on defense, it was incredible to see because they, I really thought that was one of the units in all of football that underachieved all year with the talent they have. But looking at the way they played yesterday, it looks like they're peaking at the at the right time. They were able to shut down the Steelers, and I also have to wonder. Looking at this game, is Big Ben really the guy that's going to be able to lead into the playoffs? Because we've seen all year that as well as he's played, as well as he's managed games, he hasn't been able to really throw the ball downfield consistently. And yesterday he was shut down. And looking at the Steelers' rushing game, it's not this. I don't think it's just attributed to the Bills for shutting him down. If you look at – I remember early in the game, they showed – NBC showed a stat about their rush offense. And it's been atrocious over the past few weeks. Like, they ranked near the bottom in most categories in rushing. And – if you don't have a quarterback that can throw the football and you don't have a run game, I mean, what are you going to do in the playoffs? I mean, it, we're, I think it's safe to say we're at the point in the NFL and all football where it, it shifted from defense wins championships. Like if you, ha you have to have that quarterback and offense that really can lead a team and the Steelers really don't have that right now. So I, I don't know what to say. I don't right now. It's there. It looks like they're going downhill at the wrong time, which sucks to say. I totally agree. That was more of a mistake on my part. Again, I think the Bills did a good job against their rushing defense uh, with their rush defense. But I also think, as you said, the Steelers' rushing game has not been great this year, um, as well as their long yard, as you said, long passing game. They've really benefited from short passing, um, and that's really been the key to their success all year. Um, as you said, um, I think this Bills team, uh, you know, they've sort of unperformed at the beginning of the year. They're doing well now. Um, so, yeah. Um, with that being said, we had the Ravens and the Browns, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's going to happen tonight, which is it's currently 426 on Monday. Um, and the Ravens and Browns game is going to happen uh, at 815. You know, this is a really crucial game, I think, for the Ravens, not so much the Browns. I think the Browns have done a really good job this year. But if the Ravens lose this game, essentially they're eliminated from the playoffs. So this is going to be a huge game for them to win. Um, I do have a lot of faith in the Browns. And my pick for this game is going to be the Browns. I think the Browns will win it probably by like a touchdown. Uh, they'll move to 10 and 3, pretty much solidifying a wild card spot for them. Um, you know, I think Baker Mayfield has improved his play over the past couple of weeks. That rushing game has been really spectacular. So I just have a lot of faith in the Browns moving forward. Um, I think they're somewhat of a real deal. I don't know how far they'll get in the playoffs, um, but I do. I do like their chances in the playoffs. I don't think they're a one and done type of team. You know, they have they have a shot to make a run in the playoffs with how they've been playing. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. the Browns, especially last week, big. I gotta, I gotta see a lot of them as they beat up my Titans, and I get see how good this team really is. But honestly, looking at this game specifically, I really think they have a favorable matchup because they're a team that really can run the ball on you with Nick Chubb, who's already one of the best backs in the league on his own, and Cream Hunt, who, who's probably one of the best. Um, who is probably another one of the better running backs. They have really a, probably one, the best one-two punch in the league, I would say. I can't think of a team that's better than them. Looking at a team like the Ravens, they really do have trouble stopping the run, and that's persisted this year. So I think that's really going to be the difference in this game. I think they're going to win it by, I would say, touchdown. I, I don't remember exactly what my predicted score was, but I think about a touchdown makes sense. I think Nick Chubb doesn't get talked about enough. But, you know, I've always thought he was a pretty good running back. Um, since he stepped into the league, and then I always knew he was a good running back this year. But after watching um, some film on him, he is really spectacular, and in my opinion, Nick top Chubb three back in the league this year. Nick Chubb for MVP. <laughs> it's that simple. I think that um, he is the most important player to an offense in the NFL. The way that he closes out games for Cleveland in the fourth quarter where, you know, teams can bottle him up all game. And I've been on the Chubb train for like two years because he's been my fantasy guy. And so it's like teams can bottle him up all game, but you know he's going to break one run in the fourth quarter for 20 yards that just seals the deal. And we've seen that with the Browns is that when it comes to winning time, they give the ball to Chubb and, and Chubb will get their needed first down to close out the game. So Nick Chubb for MVP. Um, you know, again, Nick Chubb, great running back. Probably not going to win MVP, but I definitely see the argument there. Um, they never give it to – you know, I, I really hope the NFL does move away from just giving it to quarterbacks every year because the players like our Nick Chubb were really crucial to an offense, and they never get a shot because they're a running back. But uh, with that being said, I just wanted to put it in a little perspective, right? We're really close to the playoffs at this point. Um, just look at the playoff picture. AFC East is between the Bills and the Dolphins. Bills pretty much have it in the bag, I think, at this point, 10 and 3. Dolphins 8 and 5. Um, AFC North between, I think, the Browns and the Steelers. Steelers did clinch, obviously, but I think the Browns uh, have the shot to win the wild card spot. And I think if they win tonight, it's going to be huge for them. Uh, it's going to pretty much eliminate the Ravens' shot at making the playoffs, which is pretty incredible after they won 14 2 last season. What a turnaround. I think the offensive line play, as well as the, their uh, somewhat inconsistency at wide receiver and defense, has really plagued them. Uh, AFC South, we have the Titans and the Colts. They're both 9-4 and four, uh, to win that division. AFC West, Chiefs pretty much have that unlock. Uh, next team after them is the Raiders at 7-6, and six, and it does not look like the Raiders are going to make the playoffs at this point. NFC East between Giants and Washington. Washington 6-7, and seven, Giants are 5-8. and eight. Uh, Looks like Washington's going to win the division at this point, unless the Giants can really learn from that Cardinals game and turn it around, and hopefully Washington picks up an extra loss to help even it out. Um, NFC North was clinched by the Packers. Uh, next team after them is the Vikings and the Bears are both tied at six, uh, both six and seven, tied at two and three. Um, Bears have the uh, Packers rather have that division. Uh, does not look like either of those teams are going to make the playoffs. NFC South, you have the Saints who clinched it at ten and three. Buccaneers are second at eight and five, have a chance to make the wild card spot. Um, Rams are nine and four. Seahawks are nine and four for the top of the NFC West. Uh, Cardinals are third. Uh, at seven and six, yeah, I think the Cardinals are one of those teams that, even though they're seven and six, they have a small, small sliver at making the playoffs. I don't know if they will, uh, but if they were, if there's any seven and six team to do so, I think it would be this Cardinals team. I do have a lot of faith in them uh, now and moving forward. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with pretty much everything you said there. I really, um, you're looking at the AFC South. I think that's one of the more interesting ones because the Titans. I think most people can agree are probably the better team than the Colts, but don't 
yeah, I'm not I'm not willing to celebrate yet. Obviously not because the teams are tied, but also I do think there's a decent chance the Colts could win. I do think you know it's a really important time. It's a really important time to keep your foot on the gas at this time of the year. And I do think that you know the Titans have trouble getting you know more than you know one or two big wins in a row. So I I'm hoping, but I, I'm not I'm not too confident yet. You know the the other one I really want to talk about is the AFC North because look it looks like the Steelers should really win that but with their two losses Browns only have three there's a it, it's going to be tough because the Steelers currently have the head to head but you that's one you can't really you have to keep an eye on because it's unlikely for the Browns to win but you never know because it's it's not entirely out of the question but I really but I think most people can agree the one to really 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 watch is the NFC West because the two teams are tied and it really could go either way. That that and the AFC South, I think they're really the two ones to watch at this point. Mm, totally agree with them. With them being tied, it's going to be big. And again, that Browns and Ravens team, uh, Ravens game tonight is going to play, a, I think, a crucial part in playoff runs. Uh, the Browns Browns really need this game. The Ravens really need this game. Um, both teams, you know, somewhat rivals here. Going to be a really good game to watch tonight. I definitely recommend it. Um, with that being said, I think that concludes our NFL segment. Um, so, Brian, if you want to take over, go for it. Yeah, um, I think we're going to go into basketball before baseball, if that sounds good. Yep, sounds good. Um, no, and, I don't think and, Ian's mad. I asked Mike to go, so I'm going to say goodbye now. Yes. So Bye, thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys sometime else. See you, Max. Bye. Ian, you're on mute if you're talking. Oh, I was, I was like talking the entire time. <laughs> But yeah, let's get into some basketball. So the preseason is underway in the NBA and with it comes these interesting and compelling storylines that are it's it's somewhat setting the table for what the next nine to 10 months of basketball might look like. And so we know it's going to be a little bit different. And the first thing I wanted to touch on was really basketball in these cavernous empty arenas newsflash it sucks okay yes it worked in the bubble but that was because there were fans on a big board the arena was smaller everything felt closer and more compact yet now teams are back in their arenas that are designed to hold 22 25,000 people and it looks like they're just playing a giant pickup game in this ginormous black hole and the fake crowd noise just creeps me out because it feels inauthentic and so I understand what this pandemic has done and I understand that fans should, shouldn't be in close quarters with one another and I understand that you know this is for the betterment of the community as a whole and by community I mean the world uh, but still it doesn't take away from the fact that playing in these big arenas is terrible so I've proposed that since there's no fans there anyway, and the only reason that they're playing in these arenas is that the NBA wants to get the TV money, why don't they set up these TV these TV cameras in smaller gyms where we get that closer atmosphere? Who says that the Lakers have to play at Staples Center if there's no fans there regardless? The owners aren't getting any revenue from fans buying concessions, buying tickets. There's nobody there. It's just the players and the team. So why not play basketball in an arena that allows the players and the team to socially distance when they're not in the game, but it gives the fans at home that tighter feel like the NBA bubble had, where you don't really notice that fans are gone. And so, you know, I was really wondering, what, what are some of your guys' thoughts about that? Yeah, I was, I was um, watching the game, a couple of the, actually the Knicks game with my brother, 
And we were, I was like saying like, they did this whole bubble system last, uh, last season and it worked so well compared to all other leagues, like how they were able to restart, uh, their league of, I mean, you saw with baseball, you saw with football, there's been all these COVID outbreaks and with basketball, there, there was literally none. And I was saying, I guess this isn't exactly what you were asking, but I was saying, why not set up a bunch of bubbles um, around the league and kind of, obviously you're not going to be playing. It's going to be similar to how baseball did it, where you played certain teams. Um, And obviously that's not the best thing to do, but I mean, these bubble systems work so well. Um, Hopefully at some point the bubble systems don't have to be a thing anymore. And you can actually go back into your stadiums going further into the season, but why not set up bubbles all over the, uh, United States, I don't know, like three different bubbles and have them play these other game, these other games in this bubble and minimize the COVID minimize, um, how weird it feels to just be in a stadium where there's no fans watching. Like, I'm just thinking about like Madison square garden. It's so big. Obviously that's the only stadium I've been to. It must be so weird for these players to just be playing on a court while all these seats have no one in it. And it must be a very weird feeling because compared to other, I mean, I'm just trying to think of other stadiums like City Field, my match. I don't I feel like it's not that weird for them because it's more open. It's not like a closed facility, but it just has to be so strange for them. Exactly. And it's it, you talked about that Knicks game and I watched the, the Knicks strangely intrigued me and I'm just so compelled. I just want basketball to be good in New York again. Yeah. Don't don't give me the Nets. I don't count the Nets. Nobody cares about the Nets. The day that the Knicks are good is the day that basketball finds its solution to its rating problem. Because there, it, it's funny when you look at sports in New York, and you'll know this far better than I will. Like right now, what people care about are like the Yankees and the Mets, and then you know you have the Rangers somewhere off in the distance. But without a doubt, I believe that if the Knicks put on court a competent basketball team, they would be the number one sport in the city without a question, without like, without any doubt in my mind. But so I was watching that Knicks game and I saw Madison square garden and there's a certain mystique that that arena has. And you can't, you can't deny that 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 mystique exists, but with no fans there, it's not as compelling. Mm -hmm. And again, I get it, you know, the pandemic, but you know, if, you're not going to get that mystique that Madison Square Garden offers you and that uniqueness of turning on a Sunday afternoon or Thursday night basketball game when the Knicks were playing with Carmelo and they were good. You know, that level of draw that you felt, if you're not going to get that and no fans are going to be allowed anyway, you might as well just be playing in a smaller and closer, close-knit arena that doesn't feel so empty, you know? And so to this, I will, I will always hold to that belief. And I think a big, a big part of Madison Square Garden, that's how I felt when I, I went to like, I think three next games of Madison Square Garden. Um, one of the things about Madison Square Garden that was different than all other stadiums. And this could just be how basketball stadiums are, but when the crowd got into it, like it was something that I've never felt before. I've been to Jets games. I've been to Mets games. I've been to Rangers games, but when the crowd got the Rangers do play Madison Square Garden. So I don't really remember the Rangers, but I remember the Knicks for sure. That was one of like the funnest experience I've had going to a live sport sport event. And I mean, it has to be so different for the players. And 
I don't really know why. I mean, it has to just be the money situation, and that is why they're still playing at these major arenas. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I definitely agree too. Like, as Ian said, like, I think New York, New York playing basketball would be the biggest sport. I think possibly the biggest team in the country. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the Knicks now. They they have the most money out of any basketball franchise in the country, and they've been bad for so long. There's so much support behind the Knicks fan base, especially in New York. I just think if they were good, it would totally change New York as a, as a state or as a city, even. Um, you know, in terms of their sports, it, it would be the main focus of everything. It'd just be incredible, and I think I, I want to see them do good too. You know, me coming from New York, even though I'm a Rockets fan, but it's just tough. They always stink every year, and it's just like, you know, for what I've seen from them so far, it has not been good, other than possibly RJ Barrett improving a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the rest of the, mm-hmm. the team does not look great so far. And also, Obi Toppin has done pretty solid in his uh, playing time. But other than that, it just does not yeah. look great for them. I mean, one thing to add to that is you always see, like, the Knicks and the Yankees and teams like that are always at, like, the top when they, like, say the most valuable franchises in the world. And the Knicks are always there. And I'm like, like, if we could just figure it out, we would be such an exciting team. But – we can figure it out and I don't know when we're going to figure it out, but it would just be such an exciting um, team to watch, but that's not the focus of what you're trying to say. And, but to, I mean, if we're going to go to this next thing, let's go all the way there. <laughs> I think that this off season was the first off season in a long time where I watched the Knicks and I didn't say, what are they doing? Yeah. And, you know, the, the level of patience between Leon Rose and and it's interesting you hire Tom Thibodeau a win now coach but your team's not in a win now position right and I also feel that RJ Barrett's like a Bugatti right next to a shack a shack house that's like falling down you, you the thing with RJ is that he's going to need space he can't shoot he's a slasher and yet the Knicks are hell-bent on bringing in guys that can't shoot <laughs> and so I hopefully <clears throat> they figure it out with RJ, but this offseason was not a disaster. They got rid of Portis and, and a whole bunch of, of their mistake signings from last year. Uh, they brought back Peyton on another deal. They signed Austin Rivers to a three-year deal where they only have to pay him for one year. I mean, like, it's it for the first time, if I were a Knicks fan, I would be like, okay, maybe the team's not in someone's hands that is completely incompetent. I do think that there's not going to be a major free agent signing until Dolan goes. Like, yeah. it, there's no question that nobody wants to play for Dolan. And so, and I do think that Kyrie Irving and KD did want to go to the Knicks. For as, as you can say as much as you want that they didn't want to go there, when not just the consensus opinion, but countless reputable reporters are saying the same thing. It makes it so difficult for me to believe that they never had any intention of going there. And so I think that they did have an intention until the Dolan idea was in the mix and, and dealing with Nick's management are, and are these guys competent and all those questions started to surface. And then it kind of switched to, well, Brooklyn built a winner with no draft picks. And so uh, in the Knicks, they're, they're, for the first time in a while, I think they're on the right track. And we'll see what happens next. Um, but really the next storyline of preseason that I wanted to die. I just wanted to add a oh, few yeah, things. Yeah, go for it. Um, there's two. So two things I wanted to add. So 
about James Dolan, the first thing that worries me is if the Nets are good this season, which it looks like they're going to be, I'm worried James Dolan's going to completely mess it up because he can't have his ego hit by the Nets being a better team than the Knicks. Um, and that scares me because they need to just go through a complete rebuild and not stop like they continue to and try and go down the path of free agency, which just never works for them. And then going off of that, the free agency idea, I honestly, after seeing the Will Ponds finally sell the Mets, like there's some level of, I don't know, I, I don't think confidence is the right word, but actually seeing a team that's been hurt by owners for years and years actually be willing to sell their team gives me a sense that, you know, James Dolan, I don't think is going to be the owner for the Knicks for that much longer. I, and I mean, this isn't the football section, but hopefully Woody Johnson isn't going to be the owner for the Jets that much longer. It just gave me a sense that, you know, things can actually change and change for the better in terms of the teams that I actually root for. Um, and I, I have some level of higher confidence that James Dolan sometime in the future is not going to be the owner of the Knicks. And it's not going to be the day that he dies. He's not the owner of the Knicks. It's going to be that he leaves um, and the Knicks can finally move on. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, how legit are these stories? Who knows? But, you know, they, there's been some reports that he's fielded some offers. Nobody's put an official bid in, but they've talked numbers. And so if anything, it feels in the direction, watching basketball it feels in the same direction of every basketball owner it kind of goes this way where they they say they don't want to sell the team and then they kind of say they don't want to but their actions are hinting that they do and by on and on and on so it i don't think it'll be much longer either i i definitely think within the next 10 years something will happen where things will change but you know speaking of a former nick guy you have Carmelo Anthony, who had a great preseason game against the Sacramento Kings. And really what I wanted to touch on was this idea that Carmelo Anthony playing this year with the Trailblazers and, and maybe he wants to hang it up eventually and signing a 10-day to retire in New York. I, to me, that'd be just such a cool storyline in terms of how Carmelo Anthony in in a basketball sense is the king of New York. Yeah, he didn't win much and yeah, they they made it to a second round series and that was about it, but in a way you can't convince me that what Carmelo meant to New York was far deeper than just what he did on a basketball court. And to see the way that that organization ran him out of town for just willing being willing to say I don't want to give up on them when when you haven't done anything for me was absolutely astonishing and then to see the way the NBA turned on him and just to see him now playing well uh it's it's goes to show that sometimes people that come to the consensus that you don't have much left are wrong and I think Carmelo Anthony proved everyone of that this year uh and so following that, Tyler Talon Horton Tucker for the Lakers is hooping. And I'll, I'll call him THT for short, but this guy is looking like a real guy. And I think that with the Lakers getting that much better this offseason with adding Marcus Saul and Dennis Schroeder, and I get that it's just preseason and I don't want to, you know, blow a gasket talking about THT who's, you know, not going to play in a game seven, who knows, but I mean, the guy's hooping. He had like 30 points against the Clippers last night. And 
I think that going forward, if they have a guy off the bench that can give them this level of offensive production, the sky's really the limit for this Lakers team. Um, it, we'll see what happens when it start. we start playing meaningful basketball headed into the season. But if I'm a Lakers fan, I'm excited from what I'm seeing from Gasol, Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, THT. And then you're, you're also forgetting that they haven't played with LeBron yet. So these guys are probably going to look even better. And so I'm just really excited to see what happens in L.A. I'm not necessarily an L.A. fan, but much like the Knicks, basketball is better when the Lakers are good. And there's no denying that. And so I want to see how they defend their title because you're as much a champion as you are in your title defense than just when you win the championship. And so with that being said, preseason hoops are back and the NBA is back and I'm just happy. And so really, that's all I all I had to say today. Gotcha. Nick, do you have any comments about the Rockets? Uh, sure. The Rockets are an absolute mess and it's horrible. But uh... <laughs> I don't, I don't even know what to say about James Harden because you know, Brian asked me to do a POV about it. And I sat there and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll talk about how he doesn't want to be with the team. And then it's like five minutes later, I see PJ Tucker posting on his Instagram story with a picture with uh, James Harden, uh, which was posted previous to that said loyalty, basically. And that was it, right? And the next picture is, is him and, and James Harden. And it, it, you know, I've seen multiple reports saying he he's coming to practice today, and he practiced today. Uh, he just you know he's following COVID guidelines because he was out. And James Harden is, continues to post cryptic things on social media, which the way I'm reading it seems like he wants to be on the Rockets via the post. But it, you know, it, it's impossible. As Ian had mentioned before, it's impossible to ignore all these reputable sources. Woj to, to everybody, Shams, you know, reporting on that James Harden wants out. And there's so many people reporting he wants this trade, that trade. Um, you know, it, it's impossible to tell him, in my opinion, where he's at right now. Uh, I just really hope he stays with the Rockets. Right now, uh, I heard the last the last that I heard before we started the podcast was that uh, pretty much the Nets were out on Harden. They don't really have the the, the really the means to trade for him because they don't want to give up Kyrie or uh, Kevin Durant, which essentially puts them out of contention to get Harden. Because remember, as we mentioned. Rockets pretty much have all the leverage with their contracts they have with Harden right now. Um, but I saw in terms of the 76ers, uh, they wanted uh, – the Rockets wanted Ben Simmons plus like three first overall picks, which I could see maybe the 76ers doing because, you know, I think helping – you know, as talented as Ben Simmons, ben Simmons is, I think 76ers would do well with A, a score, B, somebody that could shoot the ball a little bit better, which I think James Harden provides. Um, and then the ulterior option was the Heat, which they were going to include – Tyler Hero and other options, which doesn't make so much sense to me. You just made it to the finals with this roster. Why blow it up? Why not try to build on it rather than essentially blow it up and reconstruct it entirely? Because Tyler Hero with a young town, who's a major part of the playoff run, you know, why get rid of him? I don't really understand. Um, you know, ultimately, as a Rockets fan, I hope he stays. I love James Harden. Uh, as, as difficult as our relationship can be, uh, I really hope, to, do hope that he stays with the talent that he brings to this Rockets team is, is you know, irreplaceable. Um, so that's what I have to say about the Rockets. <laughs> gotcha. Um, something just flew in my eye. Okay, I'm good. Um, okay, I think that ends the basketball section. We'll move on to baseball. All right, so baseball. Um, there's actually a lot to talk about this week. So starting off, we'll start with what the newest news is. So the Cleveland Indians announced last night that they're going to be changing their nickname. Um, they don't know what it is yet. 
And an interesting article came out, I think it was from Associated Press, that said that they're not changing it for the 2021 season until they come up with a new nickname. And however you feel about the Indians as a nickname, in my opinion, I'm happy they're getting rid of it. Yes, it's not as bad as the Redskins, and I think we can all agree on that. But at a certain point, it's like, why not even risk it and just go with an easy name? And yeah, I also know the other side of that. It's like, how far can you go till it's not considered something bad? But there are definitely other options out there. Um, can't think of any right now, but I mean, just call it a different animal. Um, but either way, um, the thing that I want to talk about is the idea that they're not going to change it in 2021. That just seems very odd to me. Like you can do like the Cleveland baseball team, like the Washington Redskins, the Washington football team did, but not changing it makes it seem like, you know, it is, we don't consider it a good name, but we can't think of anything better. So we're just going to go with it. Um, so we think of something like that just seems very dumb, takes away the whole point of you changing your name. Um, just cut ties with it. it. It doesn't make sense either way you look at it. Just keeping saying you're going to change the name and then not changing the name for a whole season doesn't make sense. Um, that's all I really have to say about that. So we're going to move on to um, it's been a busy week for the Mets. So we'll talk about that. And then there's a few other things I want to talk about. So the Mets went out and signed James McCann, finally got their catcher. Um, as we talked about last week, it was reported that the Mets were very close, literally at the five-yard line with James McCann, um, just needed to. It seemed like uh, cross the T's, dot the I's type situation. Um, but it took another week for it to happen. Today is Monday. It happened Saturday. So it basically took another week for it to happen. Very confusing. I don't really know why it took another week. I'm sure it was probably um, blowing smoke on both sides, James McCann trying to get more out of the Mets. Um, the Mets not being willing to go any further than the, the, what they were going to give for James McCann. Um, but either way you look at it, the deal is four years. They're saying it's had over 40 million. So I'm going to say it's in the range of 10 to 12.5 million a year. I'd say right in the middle of that. But in my opinion, as a Mets fan, I'm happy. Obviously there's JT Realmuto out there um, who for a while, the Mets were, the lots of Mets fans wanted JT Realmuto. But then you started to look at who's on the actual free agency block, free agency block and the holes that the Mets have and the possibility that they can fill those holes this offseason. I mean, for years, they've needed a center fielder. They needed a center fielder that could be good defensively, that could be good offensively. George Springer's right there. Um, you need the money to sign George Springer. And then after last season, it was obvious the Mets' rotation, not as good as it used to be. There's a lot of chances for injury, and you need to have – pitchers on that team that are actually reliable and good and can fill those holes. And then you have Trevor Bauer out there. And these are two players that the Mets, that the Mets and Mets fans want to go out and sign. And you can't sign JT Romuto, George Springer and Trevor Bauer and stay below the luxury tax, which is def definitely something most owners want to try and stay under. Um, and not to mention there's players on the team that you're going to look to extend in the next few years. I mean, Michael Conforto this year, you want to extend him. Um, Noah Syndergaard going further, you want to extend him. So there's a lot of players that the Mets need to be able to give money to and try and stay as close to or below the luxury tax as possible. And going out and signing James, Mc James McCann, who really compares a lot to JT Romuto and maybe is just a tier lower than JT Romuto, but probably not even that much. SNY put out a 
comparison between JT Ramuto and James McCann. And it, it, with the stats that they showed, obviously they're leaving some out, but they're pretty important stats. There's batting average, home runs. I think it was OPS. Um, they were all very close. Home runs, JT Ramuto was ahead of, but you have to keep in mind, JT Ramuto has played, I think it was 700 games compared to James McCann, who's played 600 games. JT Ramuto's had a lot more chances. He's been the starter, starting catcher every team that he's been with. And uh, James McCann has been really the backup catcher. Could have been the starting catcher, but he has been the backup catcher for most of his career. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. James McCann only wants, as you can see from the deal, about $11 million a year, while JT Ramuto wants seven years for like $25 million a year, something like that, 2025, something like that. And the Mets also have a rising star in Francisco Alvarez, who a lot of people are high on, who is a catcher that's expected to be up with the Mets in like three years. And that's basically a perfect timetable for James McCann to be able to teach him what he needs to be able to do with the pitching staff that the Mets have. So I think it made sense on all fronts. Um, I'm excited by the move. I'm happy that they can probably start focusing on other people like George Springer, like um, Trevor Bauer. Now, one thing I do want to say to go to the other side of it, if it ends up that James McCann's the only person that the Mets end up getting, the only major person the Mets end up getting, I'll be disappointed. I would have liked them to go after JT Ramuto. But because it's expected that the Mets are going to go going to go out and sign George Springer and or Trevor Bauer, I'm perfectly happy with the James McCann signing. Next thing I want to talk about, the same day, the night, the night of the James McCann signing, the Mets went out and hired their GM, their new GM, Jared Porter. Um, Jared Porter has been basically a Theo Epstein protege for years now, um, was with him when he was able to flip the Red Sox into a championship team. He was with Theo Epstein when he was able to flip the Cubs into a championship team. Um, Jared Porter knows how to win, has learned a lot from Theo Epstein, I'm sure. And one thing that you have to keep note about Jared Porter, he's risen from a very low spot in an organization to the assistant GM, which he was with the Diamondbacks, to now the GM with the Mets. And there's a reason that someone keeps rising in an organization. That's because he has talent and that's he wouldn't be rising in an organization if people didn't think, think highly of him. And that's an exciting thing to keep in mind. In addition, um, all the news about Jared Porter is that he's a very nice guy. I mean, people couldn't stop ranting and raving couldn't stop raving about how great he is in terms of baseball but also as an overall person and i mean if you have someone like that in your organization that's a great thing and i'm excited to see what jared porter can do these next two years i don't think jared porter is going to have that much of an influence he's probably going to be learning under sandy alderson but um it's exciting to have someone that seems like he's going to be a very good fit with the mets next thing um this is actually came out today. Greg Holland re-signed with the Royals. Um, he was a closer for the Royals, an all-star closer, actually not an all-star, but in 2015 was one of the main reasons that the um, Royals ended up winning the World Series, beating the Mets. Um, and then he moved on to the Rockies, the Cardinals, um, the Nationals, the Diamondbacks, and is now back with the Royals. Um, oh, wait, no, he played with the Royals last year. He re-signed with them. Um, but he had another really good year last year, 1.9 ERA. Um, and it was, it's a low, it's not that major of a deal, um, but definitely uh, another bullpen arm, arm that's off the market. So teams that need bullpen help um, should start looking at players like Liam Hendricks, uh, Brad Hand. There's trades out there, Josh Hader, things like that. So there's still options out there, but there's 
been bullpen arms that have went off the market, like Trevor May, like Greg Holland. Um, so that's all I want to say about that. The next thing I want to talk about is Dave Dombrowski was hired for president of baseball operations for the Phillies. Definitely an interesting move because I think two nights, two nights prior, two, three nights prior, news came out like then the Phillies lost a lot of money, aren't going to be able to go out and sign players. And then they go out and get Dave Dombrowski as the president of baseball operations. And for those that know Dave Dombrowski, um, he's a G, uh, president that goes out there and tries to win. He doesn't really care about build like rebuilding. He cares about using what they have and getting talent to retool a team. And that's exactly what he said with the Phillies. He said he's going to, he's not going to rebuild. He's going to retool. And Definitely something to consider. Uh, I think the Phillies might be somewhat back in JT Realmuto sweepstakes just because they hired him, and it seems like um, it seems like they're gonna try and be a winner again. So it's it'll be interesting how that works. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, about in terms of baseball is news came out yesterday that DJ LeMahieu and um, DJ LeMahieu and the Yankees are twenty five million dollars apart. It seems like the Yankees want to give DJ LeMahieu a four million dollar, I mean a four year contract for, I guess it would be seventy five million, and uh, DJ LeMahieu wants a five year, hundred million dollar contract. Um, my opinion on it, we talked, we kind of talked about this last week, but the Yankees have to go out and give DJ LeMahieu that money. Um, there's no reason to think that DJ LeMahieu is going to fall off so dramatically that you can't sign him for five more years. He's been such a talent for the Yankees ever since he came from the Rockies and I mean all Yankees fans want him I haven't heard from or met a Yankee fan that doesn't want DJ LeMahieu back on the team and it seems like players on the team want him back and just seems like a move that makes sense for the Yankees considering they seem to have endless amounts of money so I don't really know why this is the time the Yankees are trying to not spend money Maybe it's because they lost a lot of money from the COVID year, but I still think that the Yankees have enough to go out and sign LeMahieu. Nick, any comments? Uh, in terms of the Cleveland, you know, I've came across, you know, looking at it retrospectively in terms of the Washington change, you know, I'm more in agreement with now. It's like, you might as well change it. I figured it was going to happen at some point. You know, why not pick a name that, that's less offensive to people if it is offending anybody? Um, you know, I think, I, I, you know, it still stands still, you know, who, some I guess some people may get offended if it is an animal, but you know it's definitely I would say less offensive than picking the Cleveland Indians. Um, but as you said, it kind of seems like kind of like they don't care if they're going to wait two years to to change it. Um, I, I don't really get it. You know, as you said, I think Washington kind of put I wouldn't say a template out. I guess a template or a way to do it. You know, just change to the the, the Cleveland baseball team until you have a change. You know, it works with Washington. I've kind of become adjusted to it, so I guess that works. Um, uh, DJ LeMahieu, like, pay him the extra twenty-five million, give him the five-year contract. I swear to God, if we let, if he walks because of over this, I'm going to be so pissed as a Yankees fan. Just sign the man. <laughs> um, that's all I got to say. Yeah, I really don't see him walking. I, I feel like they're going to figure it out. I, it just wouldn't make sense. Um, yeah. So that ends this the baseball part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Do we have any college stuff? Um, just a little bit of college. Uh, nothing spectacular in terms of the news this week. College football rankings, uh, Alabama 1, Notre Dame 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4, Texas 5, um, Florida 6. Uh, the rankings, I, don't th- I believe the rankings haven't changed, but I believe Florida lost to LSU um, this past weekend. It was a pretty 
abysmal way. Uh, Florida was going to win the game. Um, LSU player loses his shoe. Florida player picks it up, throws it across the field. They get a penalty. LSU gets into field goal position, kicks the game-winning field goal, long story short. LSU upsets Florida, um, pretty much eliminating their chances at a national title. So um, I, I can't remember the name of the player that threw that shoe, but you are now virtually hated by every Florida fan as well as uh, there's probably the rest of the team. So uh, not a good move there, buddy. Why, why throw the shoe? Why? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, that's college football. Um, again, I think Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, you don't – I love college football in terms of looking at players for the NFL in terms of the future. But college football to me is like is somewhat uninteresting in a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis because we know the teams that are going to win. We know it's probably going to be Alabama and Clemson again or Ohio State in, in, the, in the championship. So um, I, I personally like looking at college football in terms of looking at, at potential NFL players in all honesty. But I, you know, I do watch, I do love watching football, so I, I do try to watch what I can. Um, on the college basketball side of things, I think a little more interesting. Um, we have our rankings top twenty-five that dropped today. Uh, Gonzaga won, uh, they're three and zero. Baylor at two, Iowa three, who is uh, Garza, who's been absolutely incredible. Um, Michigan State four, Kansas five, Houston six, Villanova seven, uh, West Virginia eight, Creighton nine, uh, Tennessee ten. Uh, Texas at 11, who the Villanova did beat Texas a couple weeks ago. So um, going to get Villanova to keep climbing those rankings after that tough loss to West uh, Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia, Villanova's going to win the Natty this year. So, uh, you know, it's pretty much guaranteed at this point, even though we're only five games into the season. But guaranteed, fingers crossed. Um, other than that, I don't have much else to say. Uh, I guess that really concludes our podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. You know, I hope I was a little bit more concise on the football part today. You know, I've been trying to, I've been tinkering with that in terms of like what to talk about versus not. Again, it definitely helps when you get closer to the playoff time and uh, team performances are, are pretty much negligible in terms of if you have a team that's guaranteed playoff spot versus a person's kind of the first overall pick. Um, if there if it results in a loss for the team that's really bad, then not much to talk about there. Nothing really changes. Um, so that's pretty helpful. Other than that, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave them at my email at nicholascorbeth10 at yahoo.com. Again, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week. Heading over to Brian. See ya. All right. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to say. Last week of classes finished last week, so then I just have two finals and then I'm done. So that should be an exciting time, but not and nothing else to really report. So we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. Um, Check out our videos on YouTube, Instagram, um, our website. Check out some articles. If you're interested in writing for us, editing videos, any way you think could help, contact sportuniverse2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening.